this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. We're grateful for the support of Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, a physician-owned hospital where doctors have direct involvement with every aspect of care provided to their patients. Its reputation for excellence in patient comfort, safety, and overall treatment is reflected in an average patient satisfaction rating of 98% or higher. Visit LafayetteSurgical.com to find out more. Discover Lafayette is also made possible with the support of Home Bank, who wants to ensure that you protect your identity and your assets. When you make a payment with the paper check, you're handing over all of your personal or business information, plus your bank account number. While you may find an occasional reason to write a check, when possible, choose to pay with cash, debit, or credit cards, or with your phone's mobile wallet. You can stay ahead of identity thieves and protect your finances that way. Learn more at home24bank.com. Home Bank, member FDIC. Our guest is Don Briggs, founder of Louisiana Oil and Gas Association, who's here to share his incredible career journey in the oil and gas business. Don is a longtime Lafayette resident, and he's witnessed and lived the dramatic ups and downs of the oil industry. I'm honored to be a friend of Don's, having gotten to know him better through our volunteer work on behalf of the Lafayette Chamber of Commerce. Don Briggs, welcome to Discover Lafayette. And thank you. Yes. We I were- am honored to be here <laughs> with you. You've been such a great friend, and we were kidding before we started taping. Um, you, you really are an old pro in being interviewed. And you've also pulled some, you showed me your press um, badges. So you have a good sense of humor about how to, to get into a crowd. <laughs> well, yes. And, you know, very honestly, having a good sense of humor mm. gets you in and out of a lot of things. I bet. I bet you've, you've learned that over the yeah. years. Well, tell us, if you would, uh, about how you ended up here in Lafayette. I know you're a longtime resident and you've kind of built... Yeah. You know, the backbone of that oil and gas industry. Well, I, I graduated from high school. I'm born and raised in Miami. And, and then I had a football scholarship to Florida State. And so I went there in 58, 59. And, and, but then, and by circumstances... Uh, I had met a young lady from Lafayette, Louisiana. Actually, it was Lockport mm-hmm. back when I was 14 from Louisiana. And her daddy said that he'd always be glad to put me to work on one of his rigs if I ever came to Louisiana one summer. Well, in 1958-59, she notified me that her daddy reminded her if I want to come work the summer mm-hmm. that I could uh, I could come over. And so I did. I came to Lafayette, and uh, which was quite a drive for me from then Tallahassee. Right, yeah. In my little Renault Dauphine. No I-10. And, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, worked on a, got 
signed to a drilling barge called the Laguna Madre, and uh, it was in Kima, Texas. And so I, I came over to Lafayette for a few days and then went to Kima, and I learned about being a uh-huh. deckhand right. on a drilling barge and that sort of thing. About the, that was my first oil and gas mm-hmm. entry into the into what became my future. And that young woman is the one that got you to Lafayette yes. to stay. Yes, yeah. and and we. We had a we, we we got married and we had a child and our first son, and who lives now in Vero Beach, Florida, and and uh, and that was the beginning. And I just lived here mm-hmm. and went to school at UL. Dropped my scholarship at Florida State. I had nothing to do with Florida State football team ever getting any better like it did later, and but. So I just came to, to, Lafayette. to Lafayette UL, and mm-hmm. uh, they did try to get me to play at UL, but I didn't want to play any college mm-hmm. football, and, and I had a wife and a baby, and times were different. Right. So you ended up building a big business. If you can talk about that, um, you were an entrepreneur with Aztec. Well, in time, mm-hmm. yes, it was just a matter of years later that uh, you know I, I I started I I worked for JPO and drilling company, okay. and then one of the vendors, uh, Seaboard Pipe, they hired me, and and then I eventually just started my own company. Mm-hmm. And it became a conglomerate of many companies that I had acquired and, and joined and, and merged together mm-hmm. and became the Aztec Corporation. What years was this, Don? What years were you growing Aztec? Uh, well, it had to be 60, probably 64, mm-hmm. 1964, I would say. Yeah, and uh, what? So it grew, and that little company grew. And I was, I was there in the seventies when, yeah, when I was so blessed, and those were all the good years, and everything mm-hmm. was booming and crazy, and and. Uh, yeah, that was the time and to be here. Life was good. Huh? <laughs> and I had a wife, and I had a a mm-hmm. son, and I had a daughter by then, and and uh, my company was doing well, mm-hmm. and I was uh, very blessed with with everything that was happening in industry yeah. until. Well, I want to get in. Until the 80s. Well, but before that, let's talk about one of the fun places in Lafayette. I want to hear your perception of La Fonda <laughs> and the people that are painted on the wall. I know that that was a, a real hangout, right, for business people. <laughs> well, it was a hangout for people who didn't get their picture painted on there. <laughs> but I was, uh, I've always prided myself. I was the first one at Lee Bob put up 
on that. You must have been a real regular, like. <laughs> yeah, probably because I was there enough for for them to 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 do it uh-huh, and, to paint your picture. But anyway, it's. Was that the place though that people did business? La Fonda was really a magnet. Well, that's that's you know Lee Bob had company charge accounts. You know, you just go in and you eat and you play and you charge and and I mean and he he bills you and and then you pay him and I had a, a sizable sales force and a bunch of people that worked for me and and they also entertained our clients there mm-hmm. and it was kind of what you did back in right those days lunch and, not and that, dinner not that having margaritas very often during the week is a good thing to be doing mm-hmm. but back but, then it was being done <laughs> it was it was just a lot of mm-hmm. you know, that's what you did you went to right you went there and people always kid me about the Don Briggs special at that uh, that you get at the steak over there at, at La Fonda's, and it's still there. You can order it, and and that's when a group of us, uh, us friends, and we all got up in the morning and went to Reds, and on a certain day of the week, and we would play tennis, and on in the indoors, and then we'd leave and. Come back and then go to La Fonda's mm-hmm. for lunch or dinner, depending on what time uh, we ended up playing that day. But long story short, and I had lost like I normally lose, and at when tennis I, when yeah. I was playing tennis, and and uh, and I had to pay because I was the one that had the charge account too, and. Uh, <laughs> But my, had, those were my customers, you know, and, and so we. Uh, that day I lost, and I went back in the kitchen, and and I told them, and I've never told this story on a recorded thing before. But anyway, it's what happened is we, I went back in the kitchen and and asked the chef that I want them to take a ribeye and I want you to dice it up in little, little pieces and then put all this cheese and onions and bell pepper and stuff and just spread over the top of it on a, in a ribeye and then dice it all up. And then I want you to take my tennis shoe here and line it with aluminum foil and inside and out, and put all of that steak in there and deliver it to those guys that just beat me. <laughs> so that's how the Don Briggs special oh, got started. Yeah. Actually, it turned out it was pretty darn good. And you don't have to do the tennis shoe to make it any better. And, <laughs> and of course, that's not, that wouldn't fly in today's world at all. Right. Now, Don, back in the late 70s and early 80s, Lafayette's oil and gas industry was probably at its peak, and yes. people were investing in buildings. They were, you know, oh, yes. buying extra homes and all. And if you can talk about that as the industry in the mid-'80s well, um, those took were, a hit. Those were the boom days. We were in a boom. Yeah, in the late 70s. And, yeah. 
And then we went into a crash and a downfall. And, and uh, it just, uh, the way times were back mm -hmm. then. People were packing up and moving to a lot of people. My friends moved to Atlanta in that period of time and different places looking for a good job and because they, well, they were, you know, leery of what the future in the oil and gas had. One thing you can always know, we're going to always need oil and gas. And we're going to always need to have a good oil field and that can produce. And we are capable of doing that today. We can produce independently as a nation. But back in those days, we only, we only produced about 60% of what we used. We had to import the rest from people we don't even know or like. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, that's how it was. Yeah, so that was by 1986. That was a really tough time. And I know you, along with others, had invested in real estate and different things. I remember I moved here in 83, and I remember in 86 where people were just having to declare bankruptcy because of uh, – it was, it was just like a domino effect with the oil and gas industry crashing. Everything went with it. Well, back when I was – those days, I was, you know, my dad had always told me growing up that, you know, you, you can't go wrong with real estate. And so when Lafayette was booming and building office buildings everywhere, and and <clears throat> my bankers recommended a lot of projects that I got involved in, and uh, that were a big part of my demise in time because those buildings became empty. Right. During the downturn, and in, in, uh, empty office buildings don't bring in any revenue. Mm -hmm. No, that so was you, just, that was just part of yeah the time. It was, you but know. you you stayed here in Lafayette. Yes, through that, I did. I stayed here, and and uh, but I. I unloaded a lot of assets and a lot of things, and and I had, just before that time I had sold my companies to a a New York Stock Exchange company, New Park Resources, and uh, and so I became involved with them for a pretty good while. I had a good working relationship with them, and they were a good company. Mm -hmm. so. Well, Don, before we move on to the uh, genesis of the Louisiana Oil and Gas Association, I wanted to pause and reflect back on a past interview. We do this in every show, and I try to pull up a clip of a prior guest that fits with the message of our current guest, and this one is Paul Hilliard one of your very close friends. Paul, uh, as people know, is a well-known oil man and a World War II veteran. And in this clip, he looks back at the early 1950s when he moved to Lafayette and our newly created oil center 
to work in the burgeoning industry. This moment is brought to you by FACET, a career, coaching, and talent management firm. FACET is helping employees of hundreds of companies improve performance, find or move into their right position, or change careers. FACET can help your organization improve both the analytical and interpersonal sides of your business. Worry less, FACET more. For more information, visit facetgroup.com. As a young man, you got out of law school, opened your own company, and I want to get in just the historical connection. When you moved here in 54, I mean, that's when the oil center, that's when Maurice Hyman- Just starting. Just starting it. That was a nursery. Right. So you coincidentally were here at the beginning of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was it like then? I mean, did everybody just converge in that area, like all the oil companies? They did. I mean, the the Petroleum Club was- called Toby's, Toby's until we had a real petroleum club. <laughs> and if you were within 30 miles, I mean, I might I might be out here doing some work for the company, and I might be in, in Jennings or mm-hmm. Lake Charles or, going to Toby's. or someplace. <laughs> you know, you, you, you go to Toby's to have dinner, and that, everybody in the oil business was, was at Toby's. And uh, and then they, I think the the club opened in I don't know fifty two, fifty three, mm-hmm. something like that, fifty four, something like that. So, but uh, I mean, I've I've been a, a member, so I got a, I got a uh, two digit member number. So I've been <laughs> I've, I've been in that in that thing a long time. But Lafayette was uh, it was it was it became an oil town. Let's mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I face we must have had a hundred and fifty oil companies here. Yeah. And then, and that oil center, they just couldn't, they couldn't build the buildings fast enough. Now it's mostly retail, but mm-hmm. in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s, even it was all yeah, it was all oil and oil and gas business, and uh, and you know we had no we had no interstate, you had to go to Appaloosa to get across. The Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Don Briggs the founder of the Louisiana Oil and Gas Association. So, Don, we were just talking about 1986 and it being tough times uh, and how people moved out. But you, you stayed here, and you you have really helped shepherd the oil and gas industry uh, into a different level of advocacy at, at the Capitol. And I know in Washington, if you'd like to talk about the aftermath of that oil and gas crash and mm-hmm. and where you turned. Well, I was very fortunate that in a very bad time, <clears throat> I had a great mentor, one of them being Paul Hilliard. And Paul was a wonderful friend and a, a great mentor. And he was a customer, but... He always had a little bit of wisdom along with him that always made me feel good about just moving on and not being afraid. And my banker was Red Dumas Sneal. Now, he didn't want to loan me any more money because he already gave me all that he could give me and mm-hmm. all the office buildings I was involved in and and the fact that they were empty. But uh, Red was a great advisor. And... Uh, and Paul was a great mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that was how I survived all the crash, and mm-hmm. I lost just about everything I had. Did file? I did go into bankruptcy, and so it wasn't 
it wasn't an easy ride at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you put your boots back on, you go back to work, and started another little company, and and uh, and then end up uh, later with one of my companies, I a little rental tool company, and we had some problems in Baton Rouge with some of the legal things going on in the state and the environment and, and the way they were regulating us. And, and uh, I got involved in, you know, who the people were in Baton Rouge. Back then it was a, a Louisiana Association of Producers and Royalties Owners, LAPRO they called it. But they weren't doing a whole lot at that time. And But I went over there to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it, it ended. It got to the point that LAPRO needed to dissolve. And so then I organized a new group. And it was Lyoga, Louisiana Independent Oil and Gas mm-hmm. Association, which we later changed in, in a few, few years to Lyoga. Uh, or Tologa, Louisiana Oil and Gas Association. We took the independent out because we just didn't, we didn't want people to think it was just for independence. We were an oil and gas association. You're involved in oil and gas, you ought to be a member of LOGA, mm-hmm. and you still should be if you're in the industry. So, so you were the one, the catalyst in getting this going, though. Well, I, I did. Mm-hmm. And I brought along a lot of my, 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 my friend Paul was on my first group and meeting that we had when we decided to, to do that, and, and it all worked. Mm-hmm. And, and today it's a well-run, good organization, and it became the kind of organization that you need and I was proud of that represented yeah. an oil and gas industry in all sectors of it. It's uh, got involved in all the rules and regulations and different things it takes to run an industry and where the industry is working well mm-hmm. with the states. Right. You know, with the state and all the industries that are in it. I mean, we work very closely with I'm proud of all the rules around oysters and oyster leases and, and oyster fishermen mm-hmm. in their entire industry, working with them and right. others like them, right. whose part of the, you know, our, our work would go into their areas and, and we had to work with them mm-hmm. to make it all work, and we did. Right. And, you know, if you're willing to, to get in and, and help people that you want to help you, it's amazing how far you can go mm-hmm. when you all hold hands together and make it work. And we were able to do that when other states, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were wondering, how in the world did you do that? And well, we just we just worked with them, 
we weren't an enemy. We weren't an enemy of landowners or the or the fishermen, mm-hmm. and we weren't enemies of the oyster fishermen. And we were we weren't an enemy of the parishes and mm-hmm. things. And I have a a comment to make. I find it very interesting that LOGA, Louisiana Oil and Gas Association, was your brainchild coming out of Lafayette, the oil center where we had such a group of distinguished, you know, industry, um, all, all different parts of the oil and gas industry working together and never really fighting. Like you're saying the other states wonder how can Louisiana do it, but that leadership came from here in Lafayette, Don. And I want to commend you and Paul Hilliard and others that had the foresight to realize that the industry had to have a strong spokesperson, especially after after the crash. This was critical, right? That you get, you have a voice, a unified voice to get back on track. And I I appreciate those kind words, but you know it's 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 easy to you know it's when you have something really special mm-hmm. to offer. And which our industry did. My goodness, if you think about it, you know, look at the Haynesville Shell. Oh, that was a real battleground up in North Louisiana because of all the leasing up there and all the landowners wanting money for for leases and everything. And then local groups, everybody wanted a piece of the action and wanted most of the money and... And it was amazing bringing them all together, the meetings, the countless and countless meetings with the, you know, the parish commissioners, but big landowners and small landowners and and getting everybody on board. This is going to be good. Somebody needed to tell them how good it possibly could be. And it was a lot better than that I could have even told them. Mm-hmm. Because you think today all the oil and the gas that's being liquefied, natural gas, that's pouring out of North Louisiana and now going down to the Gulf Coast being refined and sent all around the world. Mm-hmm. That was beyond anything that we really truly had a dream of. We just know we needed the gas. And and it all works so well. Right. Don, it sounds like the timing of Logo, you know, the, the genius of our Lafayette friends, you and others, the timing was critical for the oil and gas industry getting back to be the powerhouse it had been. If you want to talk about those early days, you know, some of the things you did at the legislature. Well... You know, the timing was so important because we were just coming off this big crash, you know, and and we have all these old habits and we have to change the old habits and change the way we do things. And, and we had, you know, we had the big issue that came out in the beginning, like norm, natural occurring radioactive material. And that impacted myself and my one, one of my companies because 
of Norm. We, you know, I was in the pipe business, and we collected a lot of the clean out of the pipe, which was, a, you know, Norm. I never forget when they, you know, they introduced these new rules, and and you couldn't have any Norm or. You know, if it was 52 micro-rims per hour, and that was critical, and then you had to do all kinds of things to evacuate it, and et cetera. And, and, and then I had a friend of mine with New Park bring their Geiger counters over in the Capitol steps where, where all the little children get their picture taken, and they're all sitting there on all this norm, yes, because the granite has mm. natural recurring radioactive material in it. And so I presented that in the environmental committee. And that got some people's attention. And we started changing things back in those days with, mm. you know, with some of the rules and trying to put some sense back in to the some of the new crazy things that have come out that people dream up to and ways to make money and and to filter as much as they can out of the industry and you know but we worked with the, all the coastal parishes we worked with with the legislators from those areas and then the coastal parishes and their and their district attorneys even, and, and and trying to resolve rules and regulations where the industry can work, mm-hmm. you know, diligently with with the local community when it had to. And they don't have to have oil and gas people because, you know, we we could talk to them because we are those people, and we know how to do it. The industry wasn't blind to the fact that, that you know, we just can't expect them to know everything that we know, and we've got to sh- tell our story, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And we did it on our regulations and, and, and fishing and, and from... Craw fishing and you name it, mm-hmm. and we worked with all the different industries. And Don, you you were with Loga for was it twenty six years? Does that sound about right? I'm sorry, what? You were with Loga for twenty six years. Oh yes, mm-hmm. every bit that long. Yeah, I and then thinking it's more than that. Probably it might be. It might be more than that. Another ten years in there. Yeah, I know it started in 92, so um, a bi- you're right, a big success story. So, yeah. so um, the oil and gas industry has had its ups and downs. You hung on for the wild ride through the ups and downs, and I know now you're retired, and um, Loga's still going strong, and the industry has changed. But I, I wanted to see if you could talk about... Um, Another change, something that changed your life, if, if you can reflect on um, what happened in North Carolina. Well, 
North Carolina. There's another place that I started going to normally during the change of the leaves, I call it, in mid-October. And you go up there and watch the leaves change, and it's just a magnificent time to, to go up there and through maybe Halloween, you know, for a few weeks. And, and of course, my mentor, Mr. Hilliard, he had a place up there, and he invited myself and my wife, and and we loved it. And so we started going up there regularly every year. Uh, I didn't, I didn't make it there this year, but, um, but one year we we were up there at a house that I've been leasing for several years during the uh, fall, and and uh, had some guests coming in, and and I went up on the third floor. It's a stairwell going up three stories, and and uh, I was up there putting little flowers and vases out for the our guests that were coming in. I'm, I'm a big believer that a happy wife makes a happy life. And so you put out our little things by the bed up there in the, in their rooms, then they, they feel special. So that's good. And so I was up there doing that. When I went downstairs, I fell from the first floor all the way down to the bottom and my wife found me later. I was in a coma, oh, God. laying down on the ground and bleeding through my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. And I was really dying at the time, very fast. And there was a big debate how to get me out of there. And so they they couldn't drive me. By, by the the medics couldn't get me there to Asheville. I had to go to Asheville and a couple hour drive, hour and a half drive. And so, anyway, young medic there knew what he was doing, and and he uh, was able to get a helicopter to to land right there at the house and then go to another place that was real close by in in, in in elementary school. That's where they landed. It was by the house. It's about a half a mile from there. And they got me through the woods to the elementary school and then flew me to by helicopter from the elementary school to Asheville. And I spent many months in the hospital, in a brain rehab hospital, and learning how I couldn't even swallow or couldn't even take my fingers and touch one another. I had to learn how to walk. I had to learn to do everything all over again. But that was a that was a big. A big happening in my life at the time. And it affected the way you you view life and your faith? Well, 
Yes, I. <clears throat> the whole top of my head was just like the soft spot on a baby's head. And I had no bone up there. And they decided to put a brain cap, which we thought that I wouldn't live through possibly that surgery. And we're very concerned about that. And, and we decided that my wife would go to Lake Charles to be with her son that she has there by her first marriage and wanted her to be with her two boys and and not in the hallway in Houston, Texas at Tier Memorial Hospital with me gone. So while we were there, while we were <clears throat> that morning and laying there and this friend of mine Name's Patty Fornerette. Her husband was my best friend, Ben Fornerette. But Patty sent me a text, knowing that I thought I was going to die. She said, Don, Jesus is your father, and like any father, he wants to help his son. Ask him. And it's not like I've been then, I was almost seven months into the hospital time and and I you know I was and she said Don and then she texts me back I'm sorry Don I meant to tell you I meant to tell you that you need to have faith well I texted her back and I said out of faith because I thought I just said goodbye to my wife she's on her way so she, she won't be there if I die, and and it was just I just said goodbye to her and really thought I was getting ready to die in this surgery, and so I said out of faith, and then she wouldn't quit. She said, "Don, give me another text," and she said, "Don, ask him to help you. Ask him to help you. You've got to have the faith." So I'm laying there and thinking and all my Bible studies that I go to that I know that even the disciples didn't necessarily believe that Jesus could do all the things he could do. And so I'm laying there and <clears throat> I think to myself, well, okay, Father, I said in a prayer, forgive me for not having faith that you can heal me. Forgive me, Father. But if you can help me, I need you now. And in less than a minute, and I was able to tell by the timing on all of it simply because well, what he wrote was, in less than a minute, my phone vibrated, and there's this friend of mine, a friend of mine by the name of Ronnie Johns. Ronnie Johns is from Sulphur, Louisiana. Wonderful man. And he said, Don, this is Ronnie. And the top of the phone said, 
Rome, Italy. That's right. I'm in the, on a Guernsey bed in Houston, Texas, in the hallway. Well, then I was in the surgery room, but still out in the hallway waiting. And, and, and I get a text message from a dear friend, Ronnie Johns, from Sulphur, Louisiana. And he says, Don, in two minutes, I am, I'm in, he says, I'm in Rome, which, of course, I had gathered that. And in two minutes, Don, I'm going to hear Pope Francis give a mass for a fellow by the name of Don Ricks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I immediately... I cannot begin to say how that empowered me at that moment. I was fearless. I was, I just had no fear at all. And everything went well. As, so, as you so, recovered, you, you wanted to help others that struggled, right, that they didn't know if they'd ever get better? Yes, I, I was a Eucharistic minister, and I was working in, in the Lord's Hospital and as a volunteer, and I felt, you know, that it was my... When I, when you've been giving such a gift mm. as I was given, is when you've been given such a gift, as one priest said, Don, you've been given a gift. You can't receive what you've received if you don't do the work. Mm. You have to do the work. And it's pretty simple. It's one of my favorite people in this world is a lady by the name of Sister Wynn at Lourdes. And she used to put her hand on my shoulder and she said, Mr. Don, he's right there. He's always right there on my right shoulder. And she says, he's always right there. And he just wants you to love and help those that need help. That's what you're supposed to do. So that's what I've been wanting to do and trying to do. Mm -hmm. and I don't like the word try. I just believe in just doing it. Can do, yeah. Don, I remember seeing you after you had healed from your accident, which... I still don't know how you survived that that fall, but I remember seeing you back. It was way before COVID, maybe 2018 or so, and or 2017, and you were on top of the world talking about your faith and being able to share it with others that needed that encouragement because you got through something that nobody really knew if you could, and you've given others that that encouragement and that faith. It's a beautiful gift. Yes. You must do that. You know, as Sister Wynn says, 
He just wants you to love and help those that need help. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. Yeah. That's what he wants us all to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You've had such a full life. I forgot to mention you were Ladco Louie in 2017, if that's right. But you've your peers, your neighbors, your friends, um, people respect you so much, Dawn, for what you've done not just for the oil and gas industry, but for all of us, because this really built our economy here and got people back after a hard time. So thank you for all of your service. I was very fortunate. And then Letco Louie came right after I left uh, the hospital and in, in, uh, in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I was very honored to be one of the many Latco Louis that have been mm-hmm. honored over the years. And normally a bunch of old guys <laughs> successful. <clears throat> Everybody's trying to figure out what we do with them. You make them a Latco Louis. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the, the cream of the crop of the oil and gas industry. And that's the biggest honor you can get from your peers. So I know yeah. that meant a lot. It did. Yeah. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. Do you have any advice, Don, for entrepreneurs that may be wanting to start a business, wondering if they can get into the oil and gas business? I know that you were always somewhat of a wildcatter, you know, taking chances. What what advice do you share? The oil and gas industry reeks with so many different aspects that you can look at to decide if this would fit your little your little bale your fit you enough that it might work with some of your ingredients that you feel you're strong in you know, and, and sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just get some good advice from somebody, you know, and you just, you know, just do it. You can try to do it all day long, but you have to take that step and just and ask people, have your mentors, and... And they're not, you know, they're not, you're not going to always get great advice to start or do anything, you know. And it's uh, because you never know who it may be that you're asking that question to. But you have to know that it's, if you're going to do it, it feels good to you, just make it move and just Go for it mm-hmm. and just try it. No, I don't. I'm back to that word try again. <laughs> That's all I, right. I don't like the word try. Well, but you're defining the oil and gas industry, you know, a group of people that um, that really go for it. They, they have can-do attitudes. So Is that yours? It's all right. We're good. Yeah. So, look, I, I want to thank you, Don Briggs, for taking time um, – to meet with us. And I want to put in a plug for um, Raconteur, for Olivia Savoie, 
who wrote your life story. I've known you quite a while, but Olivia pulled together your whole, your, your family and your life story. It's a wonderful history. Yeah, she did a wonderful job. Yeah, she's a big admirer of yours. And she said, it. you need to interview Don. I said, well, I've needed to interview Don. But I did want to say that she published, you've published this book, Isn't It Beautiful? The Story of Don Briggs. And I know you had two friends that were sponsors of that, if I remember right. Bill. Yes, and I, and I have to say the last thing I wanted to do was write a book. I mean, I'm not a great writer. and But what she does, you do it through interviews and lots of interviews and and she was put your life story all together. Mm-hmm. And pictures, and, too. It's a book. And she did mine in such a way that, that I, I just thought it was very nice. And, and if somebody wants a copy of it, then just we need to give them a, an email, and, and eventually I'll get you a copy. Uh, I don't sell them. Uh, we're on the third printing right now, getting some printed, and and I'll eventually get you a copy of it. Okay, I'll get the uh, the email for the show notes, mm-hmm. Don. Okay, good. Well, thank you, Don Briggs, so much for for joining us today. We're starting out 2023, so I want to wish everybody a a happy new year. And I want to thank you for listening. If you haven't um, subscribed yet to Discover Lafayette, please do so wherever you get your podcast. And I also want to thank our sponsors who make this show possible. Home Bank, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, Facet Group, and in particular Raider and Jason Sikora, who mix our tape and make it sound professional. On behalf of all of you, thank you for making our show possible. This is Jan Swift. 